I, I've said this before on, on, on numerous different occasions. I, I think becoming paralyzed was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. so excited to bring everybody this interview today. It is with a dear friend of mine, Kevin Ogar. Kevin is somebody that I've known for over a decade. We played rugby together at the University of Missouri in college. And well, I mean, you're going to hear all of it. It's a fantastic interview. He's a fantastic person. I'm so excited to have gotten to talk to him about these things and to talk about the meaning of life. And I learned a ton from this interview. I'm really excited to share. And I also have to preface, I we did this twice i forgot to hit record the very first time that this happened and uh i felt so inspired after our conversation just like so good and then i realized i didn't record it and i and i said you know what there is no meaning to life there is nothing everything is meaningless and just a uh, constant pain and so uh things can happen and change that fast on a dime and so Kevin was gracious enough to talk to me again and um, we tried not to rehash anything I just wanted to continue our conversation from before so everything was fresh and good and I just I could give a lot of backstory on Kevin but I think that um, his experience will speak for itself and uh, thank you thank you for listening here we are I'm Ryan Beck and this is the meaning of life Honestly, I get so busy throughout the day that if I don't work out at 5 a.m., I, I, if I don't have my workout done by like 6.30 in the morning, I don't get another chance to work out the rest of the day. And by the time I get done, like being at the gym for like 12 to 15 hours at the end of the day, I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to work out. I don't have any yeah. like drive to work out. And so I just, I wake up at, I wake up at 4.30 and get to the gym by five and work out. And then go right in, like just stay and do work. Just go right into work. Well, yes. shower and then go right into work. Yeah. All right, let's do this. I made sure it's recording. I'm so sorry. I um, <laughs> I feel so stupid, but I know that you are uh, you've seen me be stupid plenty of other times, so it's kind of par for the course. <laughs> Same. Um, all right, so let's start. Can I ask you to do this question again, where you tell me who you are and what your name is, what your name is, and who you are? Yes. Uh, my name is Kevin Ogar, and I am a moderately fit cripple who uh, likes to lift heavy things and teach people to lift heavy things. <laughs> Great. You think you're moderately fit? I just have to pause right here. You think you're only moderately fit? I'm, I'm moderately fit. There, there's a lot of guys who are, uh, who are in wheelchairs who are way fitter than I am. So I'm is that moderately true? fit. Uh, there's a few. It, it, so you have an adaptive CrossFit um competition right coming up yeah yep and who are you the i just assumed that you were the strongest like adaptive athlete um i mean if we're just going pure strength i may i may take that one uh depending on what we're like testing on strength but when we talk about like all around fitness or like cross cross it style fitness so, like breadth and depth of fitness yeah there's there's a few guys who will beat me wow i never really assumed that i don't know I just thought that like, I was like, of course it's Ogar. Of course. <laughs> I mean, we'll see, man. I actually am. Um, I'm technically, I technically retired like two years ago from competing in that stuff mm -hmm. to like focus on working and helping other people be fitter and healthier and happier. And I just 
wasn't having fun competing anymore, but um, they've asked me to come out. This is the first year for the adaptive open. So they've asked me to come out of retirement to compete. So this will, I'll, I'll, this is my first year back, which we'll see what happens. Cause I really haven't been training any differently. So um, I might, I might get smoked. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So just like to clear the air, I, we, we did this already. I recorded an episode and you were so <laughs> forthcoming and so great to talk to because I hadn't talked to you in like a decade since we were in college, yeah. um, like in a substantial way, right? Especially mm -hmm. seeing your face. Um, yeah. And I forgot to hit record. Like I was going to say like, oh, there was audio issues. The audio issue was that I didn't press record and I feel so <laughs> stupid but like, I want to ask you all these questions again, but I don't want to like try to repeat our conversation because it was so, there were so many great things that you said. And I felt like I learned so much about like, like life and how to live it and how to feel. And then I found out I didn't record the episode and I immediately just spiraled down. And I was like, I didn't learn anything from that. I, I look at me, I'm just as angry and, and I feel hopeless, more hopeless than ever. <laughs> it's like... I was like, Kevin helped me so much to be calmer and feel good and have a good perspective. And I just felt stupid. Oh, man, it's not a big deal. It's, it's just a, like I said, it's another chance to see your face, man. Twi twice in a decade's a good run. Yeah, we were doing really good for, for the 21s. Yeah, it's good. So, uh, no, I mean, I don't, whatever, whatever you want to talk about, man, we can rehash a lot of the same stuff. Or, or I do want to know. I think that that stuff's really I, I mean, your, your life and entirety up until this point is incredibly fascinating. And I think that there's so many different themes and the way that you um, react to things and just like the, the head that you have on your shoulders is really, ins it's inspiring, which maybe is annoying to hear. No, um, no. I mean, and that's, that's something you can get into too. Like a lot of people get mad at the term inspiring when they're like in a wheelchair or have some disability. And I, I think it's dumb to get upset about it when you're actually like, if they're actually using the word properly, like if you, if I go to the grocery store and someone sees me like picking out my own fruit and they're like, Oh, I'm so inspired by you. That's dumb. But if, if someone can learn to be a little more patient or, you know, learn from example or like take something back and actually be inspired to do something, then take the, take the compliment and don't be an asshole. Right. I don't want to like, you know, if people don't know who you are, the basically the idea is that like you were paralyzed, you were paralyzed at 28 years old. I got, I got hurt uh, 2004, January 2014 when I was 28. I'm now much older than that. <laughs> We're not that much older. <laughs> but, but you and I have known each other for a long time. We played rugby together in college. And um, from, I've always just loved you personally because you're an incredibly funny person. You're an incredibly warm person. And we talked about this last time where you know, the humor that you have, the dark, twisted kind of sense of humor was kind of a something you cultivated in your life to put other people at ease because you were so big. You were such a large guy. And yeah, I mean, you, you kind of have carried that through. It, are you still put, feel like you're, you have to put people at ease or um, like call it out that you are in a wheelchair when you enter rooms or? Yeah. Hundred percent. We actually had this conversation today. This works out while we're recording. I had this conversation with some of my athletes today because that we were talking about the exact same thing. And um, uh, I made the joke like, if I don't actively try to smile, I look angry, and people think I'm just super mean about things. Um, 
I, it's resting bitch face for guys. I don't know what that's actually called. Uh, resting beard face, I think. Resting beard face. Okay. Um, and so like I, I do, I tend to make jokes or uh, like call attention to the elephant in the room in some kind of like jovial manner to kind of get people to relax about it. Cause otherwise like people don't know how to take the wheelchair or me in the wheelchair or like I, I ended up having to go to the doctor's office today and um, the, the lady like uh, I went to go, I was laying down and I went to go sit up and she like went to go like help me sit up. And I was like, Oh no, it's cool. I, I got this one. I, I work out really hard so I can do this one sit up. Um, and she just, she just kind of looked at me funny. She's like, I can help you. I'm like, yeah, I know. The problem with you helping me is that like all my weights on the arm you were trying to grab. And if you take that away, I'm going down. Yeah. You're going down. And so she like, I, I don't think she, um she knew how to handle someone who was in a wheelchair wanting to like be independent. And to her credit, like, most of the people that were in the hospital around me, like the doctor's office around me, um, they were, uh, they're elderly, probably needed a ton of help. So probably weren't, she probably wasn't very used to like a young, uh, uh, moderately fit uh, cripple. So it's um, upsetting me so much that you are referring to yourself as moderately fit. (laughs) I tried to do a HIIT workout with a YouTube lady today and I about (laughs) had an aneurysm. So But let me ask you this, because that has to be, it has to wear on you because you kind of went prior to your, the injury um, with nobody ever probably helping you with anything because you were like, um, you know, you had a Superman shirt and people believed you like <laughs> you, you were an incredibly in shape guy that like able bodied that didn't need any assistance for anything like this. And now you still don't need the assistance. You're just as independent as you were, but people don't know how to react to you. Or maybe like you told me a story about someone pushing you around. Yeah. Like people, I I don't say, I don't think it wears on me per se. I know it does with a lot of people in the community, um, like the, the disabled or, or adaptive community. Uh, and, and I think, I think the difference is how you kind of perceive it. And I, I think we meant, I mentioned this last time. It's like, all those situations where someone's trying to be helpful, but doing it poorly, no one, everyone always just gets upset about it. And no one has ever just sat there and taken the time to like, be like, Hey, I appreciate you trying to help me. And I, and I see this is coming from a place of like genuinely wanting to be a good person, but let, let me explain to you why that was a bad idea. And let me, let me tell you what I would prefer next time. And I don't think anyone takes it as a chance, um, as like a learning experience. Like, they don't know. Like, I didn't know anything about this kind of stuff before I got paralyzed. I had to dig deep and like try to learn a lot of these things. And to to assume to assume that people know what you need and know how you want to be treated is is one of the dumbest things you could possibly do, and one of the easiest ways to make yourself angry. And to be perfectly honest, like my first year in a chair, I was the same way. I was like, how dare they want to help me push up a hill? And I was like, wait, like. I mean, previously, if I saw one, someone like trying to push a wheelchair up a hill and it was kind of hard, I'd, I may have asked them if they needed help. I wouldn't go up there and just start pushing them right, randomly, which right. happens every once in a while. But like, it just, it's all an opportunity, man. And uh, I like to see those opportunities as a way to like help people understand the situation more so than like um, berate them for trying to be a nice person. This is the thing that I find so amazing because this is who you were prior to being in, in the chair was someone who wanted to help other people and wanted to like, you know, you would, we're always, uh, I made the point of saying like, you're always um, educating other people about fitness and everything that you knew when we were in, in school. 
And that obviously that's still part of your life and become even more so. I mean, you're running the gym and everything, but I don't know. In my mind, it, maybe it's ignorance. It probably is. But I would assume that you would have gone through some kind of like dark spell or like, you know, turned your, your just changed your, the way that your life was going and just said, I don't want to ever work out again after being paralyzed. And I, I don't want to um, like the, the did the depression ever weigh on you where you were just like, I've had enough of all of this. I mean, it's it's it still does, man. Like, I don't I'm not always happy and always easy to get along with or always like willing to help everyone. Like I have days, like I went through my first wheelchair in two years and it's supposed to last five. Cause I would get so upset or sad or whatever. And like the, the easiest thing to blame was that chair. And so it would get launched across the room. Cause it was only like 30 pounds. So it's easily thrown. And, um, you know, Again, so I, I, like easily thrown, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so like it's, I don't, I think people think that once you get to this, this point of like wanting to help people that every single day is super eat, like you just wake up like whistling and singing and you're ready to hop out the door and help people like there are definitely days. And I, I, you know, some of my closest friends are, are very similar mindset of like wanting to help a lot of people. And like, we talk about it all the time. Like there are some days when we wake up and we're like, just fuck everyone right now. And then we have to pull our heads out of our butts because like, no, I, I have to believe in this world that most people are genuinely trying to be an, at least an okay person. Mm -hmm. And it, and if you look at it from that standpoint, then if, if you assume everyone's doing some, doing what they're doing out of a, I don't wouldn't call it love, but out of like, at least a, a slight bit of respect, it becomes a lot easier to help them because like, they're just maybe misguided or slightly ignorant of what's going on around them. And, like we've all been there. All of us has been the person who cut the other person off in the car. Yeah. That if we were the person who got caught off, would want to scream at. Right. We've all been that person who 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 has you know ran a red light and almost hit somebody. We've all done something stupid, and so to, like I don't know. I've is, I've done a lot of stupid things. Is that patience that you give to other people something that you've always had for yourself, or have you had to learn to give that to yourself? I had to learn a really hard way. I mean, we talked about it last time. I think God prepared me in my entire life to to be paralyzed and be in this role that I'm in right now with like CrossFit and fitness and adapt the adaptive movement and whatnot. Um, but I have, I have very little patience for myself. It's something that I'm still learning to be better at. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, my wife talks about it all the time. She's like, you, you, I try to give everyone every benefit of the doubt I possibly can to be super patient with someone else. But if I, if I mess up or screw up or like take a little bit longer than I should for something, I, I get, really uh uh that's when i start getting upset about things um so patience in general is something that because of this injury i've had to get a lot better at and learn a lot more of so it's it kind of a blessing in disguise because i was not a very patient person prior to this <laughs> so when you say that you felt like or you feel like god put you in this chair for a reason or that yeah. your entire life has led up to the point at 28 and now you're living you know, this life that you're, you're an example of um, the right way to deal with this or as a, as a, let me ask this, again. let me try asking this again. When you say that, when you say that you feel like God put you in the chair for a reason or that your entire life led up to being in the chair, how do you, why do you feel that way? And what, when was the moment that 
kind of clicked that you said, okay, this is why this is why this happened. Was that sensation immediate, or did that take like a, a eye opening experience? Um, well, we'll start with like why I believe that God put me in this chair for a very specific reason, or groomed me my entire life, like to be paralyzed and to do what I'm doing. I've always had a love for fitness. I started lifting at 12. I've been playing sports since I was five years old. I've always been physically active and able to like figure out any physical situation they wanted to put me in. Like no matter what the sport was, I could, I could hang. Um, you know, my, I had two of the most amazing parents were one, uh, you know, told me to rub some dirt in it when I was being a baby. And the other one sat there and like, uh, helped me look back on things and see, like my mom was always like, it could be worse and look at all the positives that came out of the bad situation you're going through. So my mom really was really good, was, was amazing at putting things in, into perspective and always like really wanted me to like look at the situation for what it really was, not just how I was feeling about it at that point in time. You know, my dad was always like a, a very loving uh, father and awesome dad and like would, would you know, when I when I was truly hurt would, would be there and help me out. And, but he would be like, all right, I need you to do this. And I need you to figure this out. I'm not, I need you to try first. And then if you fail, then I'll help you. Mm -hmm. So I, I had two of the best parents I could for that. Um, I actually naturally had a high red blood cell count. Um, I found that out when we actually we were playing rugby from a few of my injuries um, that I lost a lot of blood. And then, you know, I'd always go like give blood in college because would do those blood drives that my sister's sorority would help put on and I would go give blood and I would always be able to give like the double red blood cell replacement because my red blood cell count was so high. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I only say that because I had a somewhere between 10 to 15, we'll average it out and say like 12 and a half percent chance of surviving my first surgery, um, which was a spinal thoracotomy. Uh, because the the speed of the barbell hitting my back was that of like a 70 mile an hour 70 mile an hour car crash to my spine which a should rip me in half and didn't because god had blessed me with a love of lifting heavy things and i built up enough muscle that my body stayed intact when i say like rip me in half the doctor literally told me like scarecrow style legs over here torso over here oh my god um and my back was built up enough that i didn't die immediately uh, the barbell hit me in such a way that a fourth of an inch in any other direction, I probably would have been instantly dead. Um, and then I go through this first surgery. Um, by the way, the doctor who did my surgery was not supposed to be there that night and was the second best spinal cord uh, surgeon in the, in the country. He just happened to come in, see my case and take it. Wow. Uh, I had a 12 to, we'll say a 12% chance of surviving on, on that nice average because that spinal thoracotomy, what they actually end up having to do is they cut you open, the, the damage to your back is so bad that they can't actually open you up from the back and realign your spine. So they had to cut me open from the side, completely uh, dislocate all of my ribs, deflate my lung, pull out all my organs, going from the top and like centimeter by centimeter realign my spine over like, I think it was nine or 10 hours. And then basically jam me back together, sew me up, and then hope that I didn't thrash enough to kill myself over the next 24 hours before they could then go back in and put um, like fuse my spine together. Now, the problem with being open for 10 hours is that you lose a lot of blood. So the only thing that kept me alive is that my red blood cell count was naturally so high and so high from training CrossFit for so long that I was able to survive on less blood than I should have because I had enough oxygen to keep my brain and organs and everything functioning. So, you know, you, you add all these like small coincidences up of like the doctor who wasn't supposed to be there being there and had any other su surgeon not been done and I would have died. 
my red blood cell count being high, my, you know, my back being strong to take the, take the blow without getting hurt. Like the, the perspective my mom had instilled in me, like the, the try first and fail failing is okay. That my dad taught me like my entire life building up to that point, you know, those are the, some of the hardest things you have to deal with. Yeah. And so, so waking, having a doctor basically tell me to call everyone I love um, and which I did, I spent like three hours calling people um, and telling them, Hey, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I just wanted to call you and tell you that I loved you. Like doing that for three hours straight and then waking up from a surgery I wasn't supposed to survive from. Like it was an immediate, I think the first thing I told, told my dad when I woke up is like, God has a plan for my life. I don't know what it is yet, but the fact that I'm here means that there's a plan. Immediately. Immediately. And that, and knowing that, feeling that sense of purpose and feeling that like my life means something, I'm still here. There is some meaning to this. There has to be. Yeah. Knowing that, that probably was is something that you still have to remind yourself every day, right? Because that doesn't fight off. That doesn't immediately mean like, well, I'm not going to be depressed or angry about being in this chair or fucking frustrated that taking yeah. a shower is different or or anything. Oh, no, man. It, it like... And it's, it's still seven years later, a daily reminder I have to tell myself is like, I'm doing something. I'm going to leave this world better than I came in. Like God put me on this world in this world to leave it better than I came into it as. And, and so like that, that's a big deal. That's a big responsibility. Um, it's, it's heavy sometimes, but it's, it's one of those things. Like I think having that purpose and helping other people with that purpose makes things a little bit easier. I mean, it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't take away the sting of like not being able to feel my legs or having to it take longer just to get in and out of the car or, mm. you know, like worrying whether or not I'm going to shit my pants today or something like that doesn't really take away all that sting, but it, it, it does help. It does help quite a bit. And the people that I know who do well with this injury all have basically said the same thing that they found purpose through this injury. Yeah. And do you feel that people every every individual like every person listening to this has purpose that they just need to figure out what it is or do you feel uh, like it's something that like this is i know what mine is i can't speak to the larger idea i don't and this may be getting a little far into, into like my, my personal beliefs and my faith and stuff like that i don't think god really makes mistakes so I, I i don't well i don't think he makes mistakes at all so i don't think anyone is on this earth without a purpose Mm-hmm. Now, some of us may miss the mark, and I and I think like march in the opposite direction of what our purpose is. And like we talked about last time, I think a lot of the people who are missing their purpose are missing the mark on what their purpose is, um, or have been lied to about what's important. Like like I said last time, it's this whole like self love, self care, put yourself first movement is the worst thing that could ever happen to human beings, by far. Like putting putting yourself before everyone else is going to do nothing but like make you sad make you lonely. Like you're going to fail yourself time and time again. Like it's, it's just the dumbest thing you could do is, is, is always put yourself first. Now I'm not saying like put yourself last every single time to the, to the detriment of your own mental health and, 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 you know, well-being. but like, if your main purpose in life is making yourself happy, you're going to be a very unhappy person. Yeah. I think that's why you hear stories about people with billions of dollars that are absolutely miserable because maybe they're not putting enough into um, you know, people, uh, making the, the lives of others better. And yeah, I, and I mean, it's, it's, I've never heard someone say, you know what? I'm really upset. I helped that person. Yeah. 
but I have heard people say like, I'm really sad that I indulged in my own personal blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. Selfishness, I'll call it. But like, I like, it's just, do you, do you feel that in some sense (laughs) that everybody's purpose is to make life the just existence, the pain that is existence at times, um, like easier on other people. Is that, is that it? Is that the answer? I think think that's it, man. Find what you love, find what you're good at, and then figure out a way to help someone else with it. I guarantee you'll find a way to make a living through it and you'll find a way to make yourself content. I I think happy is the wrong word because I can't tell you that you're always going to, like, I'm not always happy. There's Mm -hmm. days that I'm sad and depressed and shit's hard and I hate working so much, but like, I'm content. I'm at peace. I'm, I'm calm. Right. Not because that, because I'm always happy, but because I, I, I found what I love to do. I found a way to allow me to help people with it. Yeah. You, you mentioned last time that you feel bad for people that have an easy life. Um, people might hear that and get scared. Like, is my life too easy? Am I not living with enough challenges? Uh, you know, they might be, they might be afraid to hear that. Yeah. Do you feel that hardship and like um, setbacks and, you know, hurdles are a requirement for getting meaning out of life or a requirement for living a good life? I do. And, and if you hear that, um, I feel so, if you hear the statement, I feel sorry for people who have an easy life and that scares you, it, it 100% should. It really should. Because if your life is truly that easy, you're not doing anything meaningful. Because I've never seen anything meaningful happen when you're taking the easy route. Like, you know, the old statement, like, oh, I don't know what the, the statement actually ends up being, but it's like, you know, history doesn't remember, history doesn't remember a well-behaved human, or I think it's actually a well-behaved woman, um, but same sentiment. Like, I think I saw if, that in someone's kitchen hanging up. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's the same, same premise of like, if you're not, if you're not striving, if you're not struggling, if you're not, you're not trying to, to break out of the easy um, and go into something that's kind of hard for you, then, then I feel sorry for you. Cause you're, you're obviously not living up to your full potential and you're, and you're probably not doing what you were put on this earth to do. Yeah. So you're not makes, makes you so really sad. To, yeah, it, it is. It's, but you're not speaking to like making things harder on yourself. You're, t- you're speaking to, um, you know, overcoming challenges when you are faced with them. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I think we we've really got done this this most recent generation of kids a disservice by not allowing them to struggle through, not allowing them to fail when it's an easy recovery from failing. So like not allowing kids to lose, um, not allowing kids to like fail their 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 schoolwork, not allowing kids to like struggle and fail with anything else they're trying will never teach them anything. And we've done them a great disservice by taking them taking from them the joy of succeeding. Because you can't know what the joy of succeeding is unless you've learned to fail, mm-hmm. and, and we've also taken away this—this this, not to use a word that or a phrase I kind of hate—this safe space of failing. Like as a kid, losing at a baseball game sucks, and you think it's like the worst thing ever. And and but it's 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 a safe place to fail because it's an easy bounce back, and you can learn how to cope with it. Right. If you're if you're if you're learning to fail was was getting quarantined in 2020 and that's the first time you've ever actually had to face failure and getting laid off because of it. And you're in your twenties. Like that shit's actually hard and there's no safe space from it. And you have no coping mechanisms. You haven't learned how to do deal with any of that stuff. Yeah. You think that you feel that people are, weren't, aren't set up for how hard life can be if we coddled in a small, a younger age. All life's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Like no, no, 
I don't care how hard, how much you try to make it like perfect and easy for them and like take away like all the struggles they may go through. Like they're going to hit a point where there's no safety net and they're going to have to really fight to make their either fight to make their life better again or, or just give up. And, and we're not, we're not giving people the skills that act or giving them like the um, incentive to actually struggle. Like what's, what's the point in trying if everyone gets the same participation trophy? Right. I mean, um, yeah, I agree with you there. I think participation trophy, that, that idea is kind of uh, not helpful because it doesn't, you, it's okay to be ninth. You don't need a trophy as well. It, you have to understand that it's like, it's okay to struggle. But let me, let me ask you this. Um, you had said when you were in the hospital, there was no point that you were alone. Yeah. Did you find in the wake of your recovery, like in your, during your recovery that you felt even more loved than you did prior? And like, did that kind of, did you feel resentful of that? Or did you feel like want to dismiss people or were you, did you feel like you could welcome people and, and feel that they weren't pitying you, but they were sincere in their care? Um, you're right. I was never alone. There's always someone in my room. In fact, it was a running joke at the hospital I was at um, that not, like my room was the most populated room. Um, uh, I don't I never got resentful. I, I never had a hard time letting people letting people in. Um, the hardest part is that it is a. Having people be there so much for you, like I woke up to to a GoFundMe that was hundreds of thousands of dollars from around the world to people who just wanted to see me get better. And, you know, friends drove from, I, you know, I had friends from like grade school who were coming out to California to see how I was doing and driving from Utah to make sure I was okay. And like all these different kind of things. And uh, I guess the only way I could say is it was a very heavy burden mm-hmm. and not in the sense of like, I wish they wouldn't have done that. But I, I think we really underestimate how many lives we touch and how many people we can actually influence for the better mm-hmm. until something like that happens to you and you see how much people give back. Yeah. So and I, I, I think that's really amazing because in, since then you've, you know, you kind of became a, a, a little bit of a celebrity figure and in some ways, and prior to this, you didn't have those things. You were, you're just a kid from Missouri and, yeah. and, and you see just how far your life and the impact that you've had on other people. And do you feel grateful in some sense for being oh, able to glimpse that? I, I, I've said this before on, on, on numerous different occasions. I, I think becoming paralyzed was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, and not that it's or what sense emotionally, uh, retrospectively, um, you know, mentally, probably physically as well. Um, definitely spiritually I, I mean in every sense man like I think I'm a happier human being than I would have been um, mm-hmm. prior to this um, I found my wife I found a, a a very staunch purpose in my life um, I connected deeper into things that I truly believe in and I'm, I've been able to help more people which I knew was always kind of the point of my life was to help people but I'm able to help you, you more did people feel from a sense of purpose prior to the to the injury yeah, I mean, I always so one of the stories I tell about this is is prior to my injury, I was going to try to compete at the CrossFit Games. That was my goal. That was and to do that, you have to be selfish. And not in like a you're a horrible person type of selfish, 
but your whole life has to revolve around things that are going to get you closer and closer to the CrossFit games. It's the way it is. Like that's, that's how you get that good. Yeah. Everything from your sleep to your eating, to your, your routine, everything. And something, something towards the end, like right before I got hurt and I, I can actually pinpoint it to that, like August, September, October, November, right before I got hurt, something just started to feel wrong. Not that I wasn't happy, not that I wasn't doing well. I was fitter than I'd ever been in my entire life. The chances of me going to the games was great, but something just felt like I wasn't where I was supposed to be. Um, I wasn't doing what I was called to do. I wasn't helping, even though I was coaching all the time, I wasn't helping the people that needed that actually needed my help. And I was kind of like living a life void of that purpose that I keep talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and so I can actually remember, you know, you know, still being someone who was, uh, you know, maybe not as strong in faith as I am now, but definitely um, someone who who believed in a God that loved me and wanted me to do well. I remember just praying for for God to, to put me where he needed me to be to to do the work he needed me to do. So like, okay, I think I'm ready. Let's do this. Like, like I, I don't think I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm kind of lost. I don't really like what I'm at right now. Like, let's do this. And like a, a month later, after, after, you know, be careful what you pray for because it, you know, he'll probably listen, you know, a month after praying those, those that for that guidance to put me where I need to be, I, I become paralyzed. And I, I don't have this sense of like dread when I wake up from surgery, I have this sense of peace really, and, and calm. And like, you I'm never not, questioned, you never questioned it or regretted saying a prayer or there or any of that. I mean, if you ask me on a bad day, I'd probably say, yeah, but I mean, I'm having a pretty good day today and you know, it, it's, most of my days are pretty good days. And even when I'm having bad days, there's this sense of like calm mm-hmm. behind a lot of it. And um, no, I, I don't, don't think I ever did. I think it also helped to wake up and have all those people like behind you. I felt like I owed them something. I felt like they showed me so much love that I needed to give that kind of love back in some way, shape or form. And so like, I wasn't, I'm not going to be down on this earth until I repay that. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's. Um, this might be, too much. You don't have to answer if you don't want, but what, what is it like to be told that you're not going to walk? Like, is that a conversation that they had? Did they come in and say like, Kevin, we have to tell you the results of your surgery. Did you already yeah. know? And what does that feel like? So they, so like uh, the accident happened, they took me to the hospital and they had to do an MRI um, to see what was actually going on before they could diagnose me or give me drugs or, you know, even like painkillers, they couldn't give me anything until after they knew what was going on with me. So, um, and so they came in after the MRI, after they got all that done. And um, I remember, I remember the doctor going, Kevin, I I have to tell you something. And I go, I'm paralyzed. I know, like, I I can tell you that I'm paralyzed. And he goes, yeah. And I go, so what are the chances of me walking again? He's like, there isn't one. And you know, I I broke down surgery. Yeah. I mean, I, I broke down crying, man, like a full, full fledged, like sobbing. Like I, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that meant for my body. I didn't know what that meant for my family. I was, you know, I was worried what that meant for people having to, like, I didn't know anything about this injury. So in my mind, you know, someone, what you see in the movies is like someone's paralyzed and they're just having someone wipe their ass for them every day, all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where my mind jumped to. And I just remember thinking like, I'm just going to be a burden on my family. Like they're going to have to like wipe my ass for the rest of my life. Like, it's just not going to be good. And you know, full-fledged like freak out for, well, until the drugs kicked in, I guess. Um, don't really remember much 
right? That probably felt like an eternity. That Uh, it was so long, and I I don't, I don't know, man. I, I started making, as you know, I started making jokes fairly, fairly quickly because that's how I cope with things. I, um, I remember after calming down and breathing, I, I, I looked over at my actually it was Tyler Lashley. (laughs) Yeah, Tyler. Okay. So Tyler was out there. He was, he runs the Costa gym. Tyler's another one of our rugby buddies and he was there with me. And I remember rolling over and, and going, um, so if I survive this surgery and I open a CrossFit gym, you think they let me call it broke back CrossFit. <laughs> and, um, then apparently just rolled over and went, went right back to like, kind of, I guess, sleeping or drug state or whatever. But, um, I, I think I allowed myself that freak out, but from my recollection, and again, it's drug addled for like the first few days. I mean, I was pretty, pretty up for it, I guess, in yeah. the sense of like dealing with this injury. That's amazing. That really is amazing. And it's amazing to me that you're able to keep the faith, um, not, a, not only at all, but just so quickly in the face of like your recovery. And I think it's, I mean, it's truly makes me marvel it's like such the willpower that it takes to do that is really amazing. Do you feel grateful for that? Like, I, I do. And I think I learned that through years of struggling. Like I got kicked out of Mizzou twice. I had this injury. Or, yep. I got this injury or that injury. I did stupid things when I was a kid to get myself in trouble. And like, I, I had my entire, like my, I had great parents and they loved me greatly. And I was just such a shithead kid. That like I, I had failure after failure after failure after failure, and I, and I think I look back. I when you're in the midst of failing, you think it's the worst thing possible, and there could be no possible reason why like you should have to fail. Like especially if, if you're if you're a person of faith, like and like there should be no reason why I'm failing this hard and have to struggle through all this if I have a God that loves me. Mm-hmm. And then you know one thing that like I said, my mom taught me perspective is to look back on my failures and see what it would have been like without him. Like I, w- I got kicked out of, out of Mizzou the first time and found, you know, personal training, which led me to CrossFit, mm-hmm. which led me to Colorado, which led me to my wife, which led, led me to the life I have now, like. And surviving your surgery. And surviving surgeries, man. Like without getting kicked out of college, which arguably for a kid who's used to excelling in school and, and um, you know, has to, has to go home and tell his parents that he flunked out of college. Like that's, that's a horrible thing to go through. And um, I look back in it now as a very positive thing. And, and I think years of being able to look back and see the negative and the positive that came out of it really kind of, again, led me to where I'm at right now. I was like, okay, there's, there's a very negative thing of becoming paralyzed, but let's, let's see, let's see what positive things come out of it. I mean, so that was like a, a perspective, like that you had to practice, like you've practiced yeah. um, reframing and, and taking a step back to, to see the entirety of the picture your entire life. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm really good at messing shit up. <laughs> yeah. So you got to get used to it, I guess. Got to get used to it, man. And it's, it's the way I've always looked at it is like when I've had small failures, I've had successes that were greater than those failures. So having this major failure of like my body and everything, I was, it took a while to kind of get myself. And when I say a while, I mean like when I was in the hospital, but it, it took a little bit to get myself to reframe where I was at. But like, if, if I was going to crash and burn that hard, then the, the, 
success coming out of it was going to have to be great. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because it's amazing to me that you feel this sense of purpose. And I think it's really like a lot of people might hear that and even feel envious that you have such a firm grasp on what you're supposed to do and what you like the things that got to you where you are in life now. Now that you feel this and you feel this sense of purpose and you feel that you have this meaning, what do you do next? And how do you wake up every single day and remind yourself that you um, have this feeling and that you, you know what you want to do with your life? Are you just along for the ride until it's over? Or is there something that you feel is a stone left unturned or, or what is it? Um, well, the easiest way to wake up in and you know be happy for you're at and like really keep a hold of that sense of purpose for me was marrying someone that was far outside my league like i completely outpicked <laughs> my coverage so when you wake up and you're like oh she's way more attractive and way smarter than i am and has no way more talented than i could ever be and so like i think i'm doing okay so i yeah. think that's number one find yeah, yeah. marry someone marry someone who you feel is way out of your league um, right that helps a little reminder, secondly, a physical reminder. Yeah, yeah. Physical reminder that you actually suck and that you are doing okay. Um, <laughs> I think I think the other big thing is I think it goes back to that that wanting to if you live your life to help people, there's always someone else you can help. And so you always can find a sense, even like when certain things fail or when when certain plans or plots run their course, like there's always someone else you can jump to the next ship and start helping more people there and then start helping more people in the next one. And like, it becomes this really fulfilling. I feel like I feel very fulfilled in my life in the sense that like, I just continually finding new ways to help people mm -hmm. with what, where I'm at and what I'm doing. Um, and so, yeah, man, that's just kind of kind of be my trajectory and my, my goal in life until I kick the bucket. Like, I, I mean, I do some really stupid shit. So I, I figure I have a good like 10, 15 years left before I do something else dumb and like, it takes me out. So, um, but I think, I think that's the key, man. I think if you focus too much on internal goals, like I want to do this mm -hmm. and I want to do this. It's once you achieve that goal, I think there's a sense of emptiness in it. Yeah. Um, and you have to figure out, like you see it all the time, like these, these massive sports stars who are like unbeatable and amazing. And then they retire from their sport and they're like, I'm kind of miserable. Yeah. Like, what do I do? And I think it's because so long of their lives has been spent on them. But if, if you outwardly focus on helping, helping the world and helping people around you, there's someone there's, you get that sense of fulfillment every single time you, you get that, like I've won five championships every single time, you know, you help someone, mm -hmm. but there's someone, there's always that next goal to help someone else. That's beautiful. When it's all said and done, what do you want? Do you feel, do you ever think about legacy? Does that matter to you? Does it matter to you to be remembered after you're gone? Or is it just like, while I'm here, this is what I want to do. And I don't care. Um, I, oddly enough, like I'm actually a middle child. So you would think that I would love being the center of attention. I actually hate it. I really don't like being the center of attention. I, um, I would love, I would love for the work that I do to continue on. I would love it if I was forgotten. Like I not, not to say like, I don't want people to remember me finally, but I, I think like, the work I'm doing is so much more important than one person mm -hmm. that I would love for what I'm trying to do right now. And the people I'm trying to help to get all the help in the world and everything they could possibly need. And no one even remember who the hell I was like that. That'd be great. That'd be great. Cause that means there's so many, 
amazing things that happened from something that, that I was a part of that, that I am just a footnote. On, You'd love on to be just the small piece in, in a much larger thing that makes life easier for adaptive athletes, disabled people, and just people in general. Yeah, man. If, if, if 30, 50, 100 years from now, like people are like, yeah, man, this adaptive CrossFit stuff's pretty cool. And we've learned so much more about disabilities. And, you know, we have this really inclusive society where like people with disabilities feel welcome and human again, like, but no one remembers who started it or no one remembered who was like kind of pushing for it at the beginning. Awesome. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter then because you've accomplished it. Matter. it. Yeah. That's great. It, like that's, Goal on earth should like I have never gotten the people who are like, I want to be the person everyone remembers. Because mm-hmm. like that that means who you were is more important than the work you did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really that's really smart. I really agree with that. I've I've long since stated that I don't think that it, like any of the founding fathers or like artists that we remember that are dead, like care that we remember them. I really don't think it like like George Washington doesn't, he's not gaining anything from us mentioning him right now. I don't think like, I don't think he was like, you know what? We're going to cross the Delaware real quick, but not because I want to win this war because people are going to remember that shit. They're going to paint, they're going to paint pictures about it. Yeah. I don't think he cared. I think he, he should have crossed like, it quickly because it was cold as shit. Yeah. <laughs> like he's, as far as like, you know, being smart to win a war, standing on the edge of the boat is really a bad idea. <laughs> What a horrible idea that was. Just, just the worst, man. I don't know how he uh, survived. I, I think you're right. He man. was really think... an example of how not to stand in a boat. As, like, yes, that's what he, he was. If he's remembered as anything. Yeah, an idiot. <laughs> he's an idiot. I don't think anyone that, that's actually remembered in history went sought to be remembered in history. Right. But And if they did, they probably did something horrible. So, I mean, I mean that's another okay. thing. We can get into that. But yeah. Kevin... I want to thank you for your time. Is there anything that you want to plug or you want people to check out so that uh, they can learn more about what you're doing? Um, we're, I work with a company called Adaptive Training Academy. We do training for anyone that wants to work with people with any kind of adaptive need or impairment. I also do work with Wheelwad, that kind of very similar, same companies um, where we do training for anyone. So if you are a person with disability who, don't, who doesn't think they could work out or do things, we got you covered, man. It doesn't matter if it's loss of limb, loss of function, you know, neurological, whatever it is, we have you covered. Uh, this is the first year that CrossFit is actually hosting uh, an adaptive open alongside, like it's going to be in the same open as the able-bodied open. So if you know of anyone, if anyone like hears this, sees this, can talk about this, and they have someone that is um, has any form of a disability or impairment, uh, please have them sign up because the bigger the number, the greater we're going to do with this stuff. And then um, I think that's about it. If anyone's ever in Colorado and own a gym in Inglewood, stop by, say hi, list some heavy stuff. That's about it. (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, head to patreon.com slash Ryan Beck and follow me at at I am Ryan Beck on Twitter and Instagram. And be sure to check out my other podcast, Falling in Love with My Wife, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks. The Meaning of Life is produced by Ryan Beck, edited by Ryan Beck, and the music is by Shakir Stanley. Thanks for listening.